Welcome to Industry 4.0. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Industry 4.0. This is episode 18, and I'm joined today by a slightly larger crew than last week, although still not the full size. I've got J-Buds again, and coming back is Urban. What's going on, guys? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, Slavin? <laughs> um, we have some interesting news to cover, too. So I know we could easily just talk at end about the Apple event that's coming up because that tends to dominate tech news um, for at least several months before and after. But um, we do have some other things that are going on. Um, to jump straight into the first topic, the U.S. House has, unanim has blah, unanimously approved sweeping self-driving car measures um, to increase the speed of development without for cars without human controls by putting federal regulators in the driver's seat and barring states from blocking autonomous vehicles. Um, this is big. This is pretty big news for autonomous vehicles. I'm curious to see what your guys or hear what your guys' thoughts are on this. Anybody want to jump into it? Yeah. Um, autonomous cars uh, weren't going to go anywhere without any government approval, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a huge step in, in advancing that technology and it, it's in my opinion, the step in the right direction for the future, um, hopefully for the benefit of uh, safer roads out there um, once that technology gets proven to be safe, as safe or safer than humans. Uh, so I think this is a, a huge step towards uh, getting to that future. And again, getting that government approval, uh, getting that backing from the government uh, so that uh, new laws can be approved uh, for getting these type of cars on the road um, quicker, but not as not to say that I want the cars that aren't ready for uh, to for them to be on the road to have that self-driving type of uh, technology. I want the companies who are developing these type of cars to take their time to get it right. Mm -hmm. But uh, this this was a needed step for to get the government behind them, right. uh, support them as well. And this also prevents states from blocking measures too, which is another big thing. As I know, some states are trying to restrict the freedom that self-driving cars have to actually test in real life scenarios because there, there's just older politics at play that they're either in favor of the other car companies or it's just a matter of they want to make sure their safety, but to your point, they can't really be tested enough unless they're on real streets. You can simulate it all you want, but until you get a car driving down the road with buses and trucks and people crossing and people walking dogs and stuff like that, you're not going to actually get a good test. Right. So and this is, this is important. It is important, and it's it's interesting. I'm curious to see um, what kind of tests they do run side by side. If that's just a straight up statistical analysis, you know, like seeing uh, the metrics of a human driver versus that of an automated car, or and whether that is out in in on the road in production amongst human drivers, or if it's on a practice course, like uh, with you know a, a test drive that it has to perform and do in a certain time without hitting any obstacles or what have you. Um, it does say in this article that the states can still set rules on registration, licensing, liability, insurance, and safety inspections, but nothing when it comes to performance standards. 
um, mm-hmm. which it sounds it, it sounds about right. But it's going to be interesting because I feel like there's going to be some some things put into place here that maybe make it harder to get a self-driving car uh, based on what we're reading here today, based on this news. Right. And kind of going off of what um, we were all getting at with just being able to put these cars in real life scenarios and uh, understand the full scope of what's happening. I remember um, back when Google was working on their self-driving car and they were talking about it, they um, mentioned that during one of the test drives, Google had noticed that one of their cars had stopped for about 15 minutes on one side suburban road. And um, when they investigated the footage and the data from that stoppage, they noticed there was an elderly woman in a electric wheelchair chasing a duck around the street. And that's not something you would typically run into in a test in, in a test environment. So it's it's funny to see that like these because you don't you don't get this kind of stuff like we were saying in in tests. And the there's the one instance where that one Google car, the Google self driving car, uh, bumped into the bus because it assumed the bus would allow it to and to emerge into traffic. So these tests are important and. I think I've I've joked about this for a while, and I'd like to see how one of Google's California-only self-driving cars handles on a Philadelphia street. Or the tri-state <laughs> area in general. Yeah, with just <laughs> potholes and general terrible infrastructure. <laughs> that, that will be the true, true test, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Absolutely. If it can survive the streets of the, of the megalopolis that is the Philadelphia, Wilmington, New York area, then... It can survive anywhere. Throw it on the skewkel <laughs> in 95 at 8 a.m. and let's see how it does. <laughs> yeah. Let's see it do my commute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they also. But um, another important thing to note in this article is that it doesn't include commercial vehicles. So there's going to have to be separate legislature in place to pave the way for autonomous trucks and delivery services and shipment, uh, just, just general transportation of goods. So this only is limited to consumer vehicles. Just felt that was an important thing to point out. Not only is it important that there's different legislature involved, but I think that um, it's going to have different socioeconomic and political implications as well um, when jobs come into account. I think you might get some pushback from the consumer market when it comes to those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that um, once they get these hashed out, and I think you're going to see... Um, I think this still has to go through the Senate, too. And I think that by the time this makes it to being signed into law, it'll probably have different provisions and be a little more intelligently thought out. Because unlike general technology, there are um, knowledgeable people who are from the auto industry who are in Congress and actually kind of know what regulations would need to be done around an autonomous vehicle. I would hope so, at least, because... The car industry has been around for almost 100 years, a little over 100 years now. So one can hope. I think you're right. It, it, as, as all things are in politics, it comes down to cooperation and common good. So mm-hmm. we'll see um, what yeah. kind of opinions come to light as time progresses, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they said they unanimously approved it, which is interesting because that implies that it would be a bipartisan bill. So it's yeah. good to see the administration coming together on things that they see are important and paving the way for innovation. Did you see any actual vote statistics in that article? I did not see any. When they say um, unanimous, does that imply? Quick... I, 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 I did not. Yeah, I assume that not everybody voted in the same way. If they did, then I would be absolutely shocked. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
I again, I know they said they've been lobbying for it, which is probably in the end, just, no matter how much you want to admit it, despite why it passed. The article does mention that Volkswagen was fairly heavy, heavily lobbying this to get through so they could actually test their autonomous vehicles. Because um, I know the German automakers especially wanted to compete, like um, Volkswagen and Mercedes, with their autonomous vehicles. So, um, yeah, it, do it doesn't mention anything about the vote in particular so much as just the implications of the vote and what this means for autonomous driving. Right. Yeah. Um, but to kind of segue into the next topic, um, I know I was very excited about the release of the Essential Phone purely because it was a um, just a different phone with different technologies and it had a lot of exciting press around it when it was first getting um, completed and now, now Liza's barking. <laughs> but um, it's interesting to see all this bad press it's been getting. Like earlier in a couple of months ago, we had some people who were leaving the company and now there's repairability issues. And now we have some issues with the actual production of the... Um, they're releasing consumer data to the clients, uh, to their customers. But uh, I'm going to let her out of the room if one of you guys want to take this topic real quick. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit. So Essential uh, made a little boo-boo uh, when they were uh, sending out a support email to uh, several of their customers. So uh, for whatever reason, they had to verify a couple users' identities um with their credit card information and the way that they decided to do that is send out an email to those affected users asking them to provide um a copy of their driver licenses to verify their address that was on their credit card so that there is no credit card fraud or uh, whatever reason uh apparently there was a misconfiguration in their support uh software that were used that they were using uh, so that when they sent out these emails, um, all of the recipients were included in the to field. Uh, so that if someone uh, who received this email uh, could also see whoever else received that same email. And if uh, that if one person or whoever decided to click reply all and provide a copy of uh, their driver's license, which they asked for, um, everyone else on that thread within that email uh, could see it as well. So exposing your address, your driver license number, your photo, uh, things like things like that. So it's a, a little uh, mishap, misconfiguration on their end. This had actually something similar had happened to my college to provide a personal anecdote on on the blind copy um, thing that happened. It reminded it just I, I couldn't help but think of that when I read this article. The the university sent out an email to the entire school, but they didn't use BCC. They just CC'd the entire university Awful. into an email. And my roommate actually sent a reply all to the entire school and his email subject line was headed the perils of blind carbon copy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just like can't help but like think of that in whenever um I saw this article pop up and it's been up. A, I think this had popped up a few times over the past week, just people seeing information that was leaked in various 
news groups have covered it. But so um, I don't know um, if you guys can see what I'm sharing on my screen right now. I know I've been uh, sharing my screen for a little bit here, but if if it's if it's a Linux-based system, there's this a command such as mailx here. Um, I don't, for anyone who's not a programmer who's listening, or is for that matter, um, the command would be such as mail X, and then you pr specify things like the subject attachment, something like that. If it's from a command line, um, if, if you just throw a dash B flag in there, uh, it does the BCC. If you omit that flag, it would just have to address. So essentially, it would just send it to the person instead of, uh, you know, blind carbon copying them. Um, it seems like that's something whether it's on uh through a gui base which is a graphic user interface or a command line um interface it seems like that's kind of what happened here they just missed a flag um <laughs> and basically the result of that is that instead of it being secret so you send it to everyone and they don't know who else got it um in this situation everyone gets to see everyone's email once they respond all or Maybe in the first place, uh, when they receive the message, they see the entire chain or whatever the limit is on their mail uh, server. So this is a this is a a classic whoopsie, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't that word. The PCC. Yeah, a whoopsie. It really describes it for me. <laughs> oh man, and there's a and I, I can only imagine the look on the the person's face who wrote that to send out that email after he realized that they missed the flag and people started reporting on it. This, this company just can't catch a break. No, no, they can't. You can't, you can't make mistakes like this when you're trying to rival big companies like Samsung and Apple. Yeah. Can't. And it's one of many mistakes too. So like not even just what we're covering today, but like just there, they had, like I had mentioned before I had to let the dog out. Um, they I had mentioned that there was some issues with the, the some of their executives leaving. There were some issues with their timelines, and now this <laughs> uh, timeline issues. Uh, so, I think there's another thing that you kind of been keeping on ice, Matt, right? Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, are you talking about by any chance the iFixit review of the essential phone? Why, yes, I am. And oh wow it's like we're thinking the same thing or reading the same article for that matter but this motherboard article um to segue into the next topic has was reviewing the iFixit uh breakdown of the phone literal breakdown and they gave it a one out of ten which i think is their lowest score ever on a phone for repairability um, for repairability yeah and um, what Jeff was alluding to in his segue was that they actually, in order to um, get through some of the adhesive in the device, was they had to stick the phone in the freezer, or they would have, but they used a uh, a refrigerant to freeze the back plate of the phone so they could lift the, the plate off, which is ridiculous. Like normally you hear of like when you do normal phone repairs, um, you just have to heat the back plate to lift the adhesive, but they said it was so tight that none of their conventional tactics for lifting this adhesive actually worked. And as someone who's taken apart a few phones, that's like utterly mind blowing. Like I, I would have been sitting there for probably close to an hour and a half with like either a hairdryer or like a heat gun or something. And I would have probably accidentally melted the phone before I realized it had to go in the freezer. Or, or a towel. Let's not forget Xbox tricks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> This is, a, in a way, sort of related to a topic we covered a couple of weeks back, the right to repair. Mm -hmm. right. 
phone manufacturers and also generally electronics manufacturers are going towards the way of of making things uh, smaller, uh, more compact, and that in return will is making phones uh, less repairable, less easy to get into because they have to use a lot of glue. They have to use uh, smaller components and they put everything together so like tightly that it by design they they make it so that it's quite difficult to repair and this is a big uh, example of that um, I'm sure that essential could have made it easier to repair but they in their mind they might not have produced this the same type of look to the phone the same high quality build that everyone's been talking about whoever's been reviewing mm-hmm. Uh, these phones, uh, the, the overall consensus is this is a really bu- well-built phone. Uh, but the downside to that, from what uh, iFix have found, it looks like it's re- it's also really hard to take apart if anything happens to it. So, um, And if you're out of warranty and you don't want to pay um, any extra money to send it into uh, essential for them to fix it what are you going to do you can't go just go online buy parts for yourself because you're going to risk the you fo- breaking the phone even more freezing it down uh to that cold of a temperature right and to to their defense and at the same time to an, another point against essential is typically with adhesive i've noticed that at least some of it is functional as well as just in terms of building the phone, like in the S8, for example, the adhesive is primarily applied to assist in the waterproofing of the device to create a better seal between the exterior world and the internal hardware that would very easily fry if submerged in water exposed to air. So the fact that it is both, one, this hard to take apart, and two, not waterproof in the least. It's, I think it's the same waterproofing as the Pixel IP57. Yeah. Or I don't think it even has an official waterproofing uh, rating. Maybe they just didn't go through that process to get uh, an official uh, rating, um, but mm-hmm. it's not officially water rated to any level or dust resistant to any level. But from the amount of glue that they're using, it might be. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And- I mean, it does have, once you do get through that horrendous exterior of the device, and the article goes in to mention that not only did they freeze it, but they had to reduce the temperature of the surface to minus 60 in order to get into it. That's the that's the rating of the, the spray that they had to use to cool this phone down. Um, not only that, but it is something where, it is, and this is also to not, not, not against them, um, the USB-C port on the bottom is soldered directly to the board. So during this process, when you're trying to scrape off the adhesive and get this back plate off, if you do happen to hit the port and break it, then you have to replace the entire motherboard. So, And then that's that's typically the the first thing to go on a smartphone, right? You unplug and plug in the uh, power cord sometimes more than once a day because these phones don't tend to last that long. uh, yet so uh, you unplug plug it in multiple times a day those are the first things to to go typically on a phone after a couple a year year or so year and a half uh, is the charging port um, and if you design the phone right 
I know some of them are are designed like this, where uh, the entire charging mechanism it is a separate smaller board that's just attached to the motherboard. So if it happens to break, you just buy that small little piece. All you have to do is just replace that, not the entire brain of the computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if the if it happens to break on this one, you have to replace the entire thing, and it's going to cost you quite a bit more than if it was just that small little board that you could just swap out. Here's yeah, my and- Here's my question. Do you guys think this is intentional design? Yes. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if it's intentional. I, they didn't all my, my thinking is when they were designing this phone that they were just looking to make the best phone physically like the way it looks, the the way it behaves, getting that new type of screen with that interesting cutout, getting that design all together, and they didn't leave enough. They didn't leave any thinking or um, any planning behind how are we gonna make this a repairable phone. That wasn't a priority to them. And I don't think it is for most companies, and that's what we have to change. I don't. I don't know if I want to put my tinfoil hat on. Uh, and say that every phone manufacturer has the intention of making phones less repairable, repairable on purpose. Mm-hmm. But that could be true. But some part of me doesn't want to believe that. Uh, <laughs> they the, come again. The Apple Apple goes against it. They yeah. Apple, apple core stuck in your throat, Matt. One word: pentalobe. Would certainly that's become their, more difficult. That's their screws they use. Yeah, well, they're custom. Yeah, that's, that's one thing, but the worst uh, ones well, of that. Well, well, I told you guys my experience with that. I think, right? Mm-hmm. I did. I think you have told okay. me. That. Yeah, wasn't a um, pleasant one for listeners. Um, if you'd like to recant the story, I, I mean, I could do it briefly, but I I had a 4s back in the day did some self repairs on it, you know, replacing crack screens. I dropped it off like a 20 foot balcony. It was awful, but I repaired it and it was fine. Moved to a five at one point, five S I think, and went to repair the screen, similar situation, had the toolkit, this and that, um, was going kind of off memory admittedly, but there were some extra connections added in places that they didn't belong in my opinion from a structural standpoint. And, um, they were irreparable. So basically I just oh, grabbed a phone and buy a new one the same day for however many hundred dollars. Oh my um, God. Yeah. But, was um, stressful. Yeah. And then there was the issues prior to that where, or more recently when Apple had the touch ID issues where they would invalidate your device if you switched out the display because you needed the touch ID. Um, it, it like had a check on if it was using the original screen and it would just not work at all. I know that Droid devices do that with batteries and the like. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if Apple does the same, but that's like yeah. kind of common, isn't it? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, to have your Touch ID not work after taking your phone, not only even if you did it yourself, but to a third-party vendor, like mm. one of those kiosks that people take their iPhones to to get their cracked screens fixed or because they don't want to pay the price. Isn't it more about the hardware than the repairman cost? Yeah, device. but some people can't afford taking it to a genius every time something happens. Agreed. And and doing the repair that way. But yeah. um I mean, 
you're going to have all phones. But to, to go back to the topic at hand, um, Irvin, I'd like to actually, in fact, put on the tinfoil hat and argue uh, that I think essential, essential intended on making this phone as difficult to repair as possible because of their um, their touted modularity. Um, the two, the two uh, pins that are at the top of the phone with which you can snap on accessories. And I think that being stuck in that mentality where they can snap on these accessories and have all this custom hardware in it to transfer power and data through those pins and through through the surface of the device, I think they wanted to make it as hard to repair as possible because if you have these, uh, if you have the ability to transfer data through the shell of the phone and you have the ability to snap on new cameras and battery packs and stuff, then they see less of a reason for people to want to take the phone apart. I, I sort of agree so, with that, but you're, you're, you're putting a lot of weight on the motherboard and the internal hardware at that point. You have to be really confident in your design to do that. Yeah, and they, that's how Andy Rubin has been. He's been nothing but confident about this phone the whole time. So that's why it's like, like my, my tinfoil hat is now fastened around my chin. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's just me. But I, I think that so I think it was at least somewhat intentional. Let's take a step back and look at this topic from a little different angle. Is this repair something that was a necessity when it was performed? Or was this something that was done out of curiosity? I fix it does this with all of their devices. They just to um, do it. Yeah, just they that they'll take every new phone and tablet that comes out and they will do a full breakdown on the device to get to the most the most likely parts to need a repair or something and to see how easy it is for someone who owns the phone to do it or if it's if it scores low enough maybe it's just worth taking it to a specialist if you don't feel confident enough. So for clarification it wasn't that this was required it was just they wanted to see how easy it was to do if you needed to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the whole thing. Yeah, that the the iFix's goal is to I think their tagline is to create a user manual for every single device out there or a repair manual, not a user manual, repair manual. So uh, whenever a new device comes in, uh the first thing that they do is take it apart and give it a, a what they call repair bear repairability score. Uh and this device got one of the lowest ones out there. I know that there's one device Wait, I think it was the Apple AirPods got a zero out of ten. Wow. Um, that's I think that's the lowest. Uh, it's literally impossible to repair those. Um, <laughs> but the, this device got one. Uh, and the reason that they do these do this thing to the devices is to show people how to do it. Uh, they'll give you step by step instructions. You go on their website. Like I have a iPhone success. I want to replace the battery. I'll show exactly uh, steps step by step on how to do that. Um, but I'm not sure if they're going to provide any instructions for the essential now because it's pretty much they're like, uh, yeah, you shouldn't risk this. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to say for, for reference, for those of you who are listening to get a sense of the iFixit scale, um, the iPhone 7 scored, um, unironically enough, a 7 <laughs> out of 10. So the well, fact that... Actually, I'm surprised by that. But Yeah. So the fact that... And we were just making fun of Apple like five minutes ago um, on how hard their devices are to actually take apart and repair and all the custom tools. It scored so well compared to this phone. Yeah. So, well, just to kind of put it into perspective. So that seems, um, that seems spiteful to me a little bit. But 
Yeah. <laughs> it does, right? Like, it's spiteful because I, I had so much faith in this phone. And I mean, don't get me wrong. The reviews say it's a great phone in the hand. I think but... that's part of it, though. I mean, if you're going to give an iPhone a 7 and this a 1, is it really that much worse? I don't know. I mean, you don't need to cool an iPhone down to negative 60 in order to just get the back plate off. Yeah, but akin so. to the USB-C argument, are you going to fix whatever it is, the lightning connector on your own? On yeah, the yeah. motherboard, like, well, come on. Yeah, because then it's on the iPhone, it's modular. So if the lightning port breaks, you can just buy that little piece uh, for the iPhone and just replace that. You don't need to replace the entire motherboard. But yeah, the internals be... of the iPhone is all ribbon cable connected, I think. Mm, yeah, okay, two-tier. good point. So not, not that, let's say, oh man, I was about to say the headphone jack breaks, but there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> too soon, too soon, <laughs> That was piece. No, but it was like the one of her first things I thought of. But we had a phone with a headphone jack. Remember, kids, when we had headphone jacks, it was great. Oh, wow, I remember those. <laughs> but like, let's say your headphone jack broke on the old iPhones that actually had one. Um, they were modular. You just replaced, took took the headphone jack out, put another one with a simple ribbon cable, and, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh man, the headphone jack was how Grandpa used to listen to his music. <laughs> Any, anywho, good good point he with, the, with the, old mono headphones. It's a good point with the ribbon cable for sure. But as that's the to, that's yeah, the key thing. Um, yeah. Phone companies, as much as legislation, has to work on making smartphones easier to repair. And situations like this doesn't lend well to that. In the opinion of the consumer and the tech digester, mm-hmm. you should, you know, know. I was expecting a lot, something a lot better from the father of Android. Andy, you disappoint me. It is he upsetting, made, yeah. What was his phone that he made? The one that made him as famous as he is? Uh, the pilot? No, uh, no, no, no. Uh, the sidekick. T-Mobile the sidekick. sidekick. Yeah, that yeah, phone yeah, was yeah. great. That phone was, you could yeah. take it apart. It was easy. Yeah. But no, not this one. He apparently doesn't think that repairing your phone is essential. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I oh. think with I think with that we should probably move on because it's just going to break down to puns and old men talking about headphones. Yeah, it's time. Um, did you guys? You guys have I'm sure you've heard about this. Uh, the article from Gizmodo with Google that was using its power to as they quote, quash ideas it doesn't like. Um, This article comes off as more of an anecdotal experience from the point of the author of the article. Yeah. But um, as many people are quick to point out, and upon reading the article, and I know that I'm I'm guilty of this as well, um, I would only read the headline and be like, wow, that that was a great read. (laughs) And not actually read the full article, but um, seeing an article like this is... Um, is definitely a, a good lend to the reason as to why people should read the content because this article brings up a lot of claims that it can't verify and that it can't um, it can't prove. So we we included this article primarily because it it's big. It includes big companies squashing the little people, but the main focus of it is that the ideas that are being presented in this article do not actually lend anything to an argument and they just kind of it's there for the headline almost um 
I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on on this article. I definitely do, but I'm gonna let everyone go because I feel like I'm gonna stray away too much. <laughs> Actually, what I thought might be useful is give a little background for the audience, perhaps on the original article, and now why is it being said that it's inaccurate? Uh, now it's it's being it's just blurring things out without actually fact checking uh, any of them. Um, I don't know, Matt, you want to take, you might be more uh, familiar with, you follow the story, uh, it sounds like, closer than. Was that the, um, the the one you're talking about? Was that with the, with Flint, with uh, Lynn, the guy who was criticized, who was applauding the European Commission to fine Google um, for comparing the service price over others in search results? Was that the one you're talking about? Just so that way I know. Yes. yes. Okay. So. Yeah, in Europe, um, they got, Google got slapped with a huge fine for um, allegations against pre- of having preference of uh, other services over certain other services. I think it would even be their own Google-favorite services in search results over top of third party. So there was allegations of that. And... You can argue that any which way, but in the end, um, Flynn or Lynn ended up getting fired. I keep thinking of Michael Flynn, but we're going to avoid that topic today. <laughs> um, but it was taken, the post was taken down and republished, but um, they told him that Lynn was leaving the foundation for failing to abide by institutional norms of transparency and collegiality. And um, I don't know too much about this, so maybe passing that to me was not the best idea. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I do know that it was—it's something that's important. Like, and we've talked about stuff similar to this with net neutrality, where first-party services are being favored over third-party services for providers of data, information, internet, anything. But um, to break it down, um, this article goes on to it summarizes all this in the beginning of the article and then goes on to an anecdote of the personal author of this gizmodo article the publisher saying that long story short she went to a sales meeting with some google reps about google plus before it was a thing and they made some announcement on the and everybody's seen these those little social media buttons at the bottom of articles on websites to uh, kind of quickly share them to yeah, the various like buttons, the tweet mm-hmm. buttons, things like that. You All see the above, yeah. internet. Yeah. And they, uh, Google uh, allegedly, according to this article had stated during these meetings that if by placing the Google plus icon into your social media links, your website would be higher in search results. And there's nothing to really back that claim, but, the author of the article kind of goes on to say that um, like just kind of took this back and published the article, but then Google came back and saw the article and stated that this was all under NDA and she really had no right to publish that article. Well, even though it wasn't made apparent to her that it was an NDA meeting, but that's, that's that could of, be the fault of Forbes. That's kind of my take on this whole thing is, is this about, what Google does, or is this about the fact that one of these employees of New America whistle blew, so to speak? Is that in a contract somewhere or in some kind of, you know, legality that you don't talk negatively about 
uh, one of the funders of your company because that's well, basically like speaking out against your company. Is that like such a foreign concept? And also, I think, furthermore, okay. before before you chime in, no offense, um, does is there somewhere in writing that you guys know of where Google says we are unbiased? Or is that just an assumption we make based on just trusting them as a search search engine or a service provider in general? I don't I've never seen it personally. Yeah. I think I think that, they've made statements on it. So, well, people make yeah. statements on a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I was the the point of the point of bringing this article up um, isn't so much that it's the the big corporation um, trying to bias things. It's just that the the biggest point was that this um, article goes on to make claims that don't actually have any validity to it to be backed up. Sure. She kind of circumvented um, the NDA and published an article, which by itself isn't allowed. I mean, it's one thing if it's disclosed in a public meeting with no NDA, but there was an NDA in place and she went against it. So they did have to pull the article and she also doesn't mention, but she kind of alludes to the fact that Google might've had it pulled when in the end, there's no proof of that. And Forbes had actually come out and made a statement saying that they themselves requested the article to be pulled. And further down, they, a Google email is shared in that article where they mentioned that it's tr extremely trivial to take down news from Google's cached results. Right. She was claiming that it was suspicious that it disappeared from cached search results when previously deleted Forbes articles were still there after a few months. Yeah. I'd be shocked if Google didn't know about this immediately. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the, um, the art, the author, the big thing was they wrote a piece on the meeting that when out of context makes Google seem extremely unethical when what they were doing wasn't exactly unethical, but it's not really the point of the, of this whole thing. They noted that the piece has been removed from cache sites. Google mm -hmm. must have done this because I doubt that anybody at Forbes has the technical know how to do it. And like, just it's, it's kind of like trying to start a fire that doesn't need to be started. Yeah. In my opinion. I, I agree. And, and I mean, I, I, I don't know if Irvin, if you have any insight on this, if you wanted to talk to any points on this, but it's, it's kind of at this point, it, the article just kind of starts a what if game back and forth. Like, yeah, what if they did this? What if they did this? Right. A lot of it's just speculation with nothing really to back it up. There's some evidence you can make conclusions, but you really have to stretch it right to make it work. Um, this entire article is that's what it's based on. Um, and I think it was just created to get traffic to whatever website, right? Uh, to get more clicks because you put Google in the headline with uh, some crazy headline, uh, with some crazy uh, accusation, mm -hmm. right? You're going to get those views, even if it's uh, incorrect in, in the facts that it's presenting. Um, people will start seeing that, start reading it, sharing with your friends, and and it'll start spreading incorrect information between uh, your peers or the incorrect uh, change the mindset of people, their view on Google um, in a negative way, which mm -hmm. Google doesn't want. Um, obviously, if it's not, if they know for a fact that something is not correct, it's incorrectly being spread. Mm -hmm. uh, between and 
sites. Before you know it, you got these awesome podcasts talking about it and everyone's. Yeah, really. It, so. <laughs> and to, to kind of go off of what you both were saying, um, it's like, the, sure, Google probably has done this before and there have been articles that have come out previously kind of alluding that Google may be favoring search results. But as JBud said, there's no like finite evidence going either way, especially in against that they're doing this. So they very well could be. But um, it's it's something that that is that you need to do with evidence. If you're going to come out this strong with a topic, you need to have some kind of backup to it, I think. Yeah. I agree. And yeah. Um, but going on to this whole NDA thing, and that's where that's what a lot of people are holding on to with this article was that she didn't sign the NDA. So she therefore wasn't bound to it. But the important thing to note is, um, and I encourage everybody to look up this article on, on Reddit also. There was several people who had an excellent write-up of just kind of what this means at a lower level and why this is a little more, um, why the like some of the evidence that's being disputed here is um, they, she was never, she stressed that she was never informed there was an NDA, although um Although as a as a representative of Forbes and publishing through Forbes, it wouldn't matter if they had not agreed to report on it. So basically what it's saying is that it might matter if she was, if the author had decided to self-publish, that she was being forced to take down this article, say, on her personal blog. But she was representing Forbes and she was publishing the article on Forbes, which had signed the NDA. Right. So they couldn't publish it. And she kind of went around them and did it anyway. Probably somewhere in her contract as well. But Right. So, I mean, while it's not it's something that she has to explicitly sign, if you're representing somebody who is bound by an NDA, because Forbes typically has people attend these meetings, even though there's information that they may not need to publish immediately. Which, whichever way you look at it, I don't think that she was going into saying, well, I'm scot-free. There's nothing no anyone can do to me. Like she, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. That's my opinion. You don't go into this yeah. kind of situation blindly, just assuming for the best. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But no, and I mean, um, I think it's a it's a good thing to bring up though, because like Arvin said, this did end up getting Google in trouble in Europe. So it's something that does need to be addressed in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. um, companies that have this much power and weight, being able to influence search results and and bring forth things that they might favor over news they find unfavorable. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Because I mean, even, even things, and this isn't, this is probably completely unrelated, but one of the weird things I thought of was um, it's kind of alluding to just the in, innate um, like sexism of people is if you go into a Google image search and you search for CEO, typically the first female image of a CEO that shows up is Barbie, not an actual woman. So wow. it's something that like isn't inherent within all people bias, but um, it's something that needs to be addressed, I think, and something that will work itself out. And the European Union has always been really big on keeping monopolies and the ability to influence and control information suppressed and at a manageable level. They hit Microsoft when they were doing when they were. Um, in the 90s, I think, when they were releasing computers with Internet Explorer and all that stuff, or all of their personal services embedded in it, to the point where when you installed Windows in Europe, I think you got a pop-up to like pick which web browser came installed, like Firefox or IE. 
So, I mean, like I said, we can talk about it all day, but it's something that that I think needed to be talked about. And it's while it is inflammatory, it does bring to light some important topics that need to be talked about. So. I think, yeah, and I think it's uh, pretty relevant today with a lot of the, like, again, like socio-political things going on in the world, uh, primarily mm-hmm. in the U.S. At least in you know my newsfeed on Facebook, um, lots of things that are coming to light with what is being kept out of search results, what's being included. Um, we mm-hmm. talked recently about um, a denial of service, service. Uh, protecting a controversial site that kind of withdrew its support or at least business with that site. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a relevant topic in yeah, I'm try- present times. Trying to think of another back in my day kind of <laughs> allusion to this, but yeah. like I'm I'm struggling to come up with one. <laughs> That's right. I think I think we've talked a, a decent amount about you know mm-hmm. this kind of thing in the past, and our our repeated listeners know what we're saying. Um, but. Right. As opposed to the present, we do have uh, a little bit about the future coming up in the second half. We're going to be talking about what what's to come from Apple, uh, primarily on its September 12th event, where we're going to hear some exciting news, hopefully. Um, Irvin, Matt, any last words about some excitement as we enter the second half? It's flagship season. All the new phones are coming out. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite time of year. You'll That's be it. speculating away. The entire second half of this show, what's gonna what's uh, gonna happen with Apple, and then next week, a uh, little little preview. Next week, we're gonna be focused on what actually happened. Yes, we'll discuss recap, exciting recap, exciting stuff. The, exciting stuff. Um, the event. So, to our I'm listening excited. audience, yeah, we have some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, we're gonna be giving you um, a couple little, you know, notes, suggestions, predictions. Uh, from the three of us about what we think we might hear from Apple, what we might see from Apple on September 12th. Um, Will I switch from Android to iOS? Ooh. I doubt it, but nope. maybe. Um, that's that's <laughs> coming up on Tuesday the 12th, everybody. Um, so with that, uh, that ends the second or the first half of Industry 4.0, episode 18. Uh, So for Irvin Lucas, Matt Slavin, and myself, Jeff Budzinski, thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you in the second half.
Welcome back to episode 18 of Industry 4.0. Jeff Budzinski here, still here with Irvin Lucas and Matt Slavin, entering the second half of our show here. Uh, we're going to cover uh, Apple a little bit in the second half. Just a reminder, you can check out Industry 4.0 on Facebook and Twitter, where we share uh, tech news that we find interesting throughout the week. Uh, it can prep you for our show, the episodes to come. You can also check out our podcast on Google Play, iTunes, and any of your favorite podcatchers, as well as Tuned In Radio. And you can find our video streams on YouTube and Twitch. So, as promised, we're going to be talking about Apple a bit here and the September 12th event to come. Uh, Apple is now teasing iOS 10 users with notifications hinting at iOS 11 features. Some of these things are about control center files and other features that are to come in iOS 11. Irvin, Matt, any comments? Yeah, I was I actually, oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> I think it's a good move because there are quite a bit of, of changes on how the iOS 11 operates, uh, especially on, on control center. There's uh, new features like you mentioned, the files app, as well as do not disturb while driving. So I think this is a good move on getting people prepared for those upcoming features, getting people familiar with them with before they actually launch on the majority of phones. Of course, you could you could be using the public beta uh, if you were brave enough up to this point, but I'd say 99.9% .9 of, of Apple users aren't uh, doing that. So uh, it's a good, good way of, of getting them familiar with those type of new controls, especially for the iPad, because uh, it significantly changes how you operate the device. And this will be very useful because one day you're just going to, oh, an update released, right? You're unknowingly install an update and your entire device changes how it operates. And that shock to a lot of people if they use their device daily. Um, so I think this is good to proactively uh, bring people up to speed before they actually get this update. Mm -hmm. And I know that some of the iPod features are going to be a nice little bit of an overhaul from what we've, well, from what we've heard. And I know, uh, Jay Buds, you've been working with the beta for that, and we can talk on that in a little bit. But I wanted to, to mention this article brings up some of the iPad features that are being promoted. And some of these are actually really nice and actually does kind of lend to Apple's push to make the iPad more of like a, a laptop-esque, a mobile computing experience. Um, book, yeah. Like the ability to summon the dock from anywhere. They'll have drag and drop features, and the article goes on to mention something that would be incredibly useful. The new feature in Notes, such as tapping the lock screen with the Apple Pencil, would instantly create a note. Like some of this is like pretty useful stuff, and it's almost like a complete overhaul of what people are used to with their iPad's experience and their user experience on the iPad. So, but that being said, um, I'm curious because you've been witnessing some of these features roll in firsthand. So I'm curious as to what your experience has been with these betas as they've rolled out to you. Because I know you're on the developer beta, so you're a little bit ahead of where the public beta is. Yeah, I've been. So you're getting like the bleeding edge. Been messing with this for weeks now, um, thanks to our co-host here, Irvin. Thanks, bud. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's been months, not just weeks. It's yeah. been out for quite a bit. You can define months right. and weeks. WWDC yeah. was June. So, June, I think. So pretty much, you know, rolling, rolling with the punches, so to speak, with these betas. There have been um, pros and cons to what I've seen. Um, there have been some developer bugs, which are to be expected. I knew that going into this. 
Um, and to be fair, there were episodes where there were features released, such as the emergency. Uh, you know, you, you press the power button. What was it? Five times, Irvin. And you get the 911 dial, locks your phone, prevents fingerprint entry. Yeah, tested. Um, so I just updated to beta 10 today, which is the latest. Um, and I'm happy to say that they have fixed a lot of issues that I saw in version 9. Um, one that I saw was something with this new um, control center, which a lot of iPhone users are not familiar with at all. And they're seeing here in this uh, preview that is shown to them in iOS 10. It's definitely a big change. Um, even though it's just kind of like a GUI layout sort of thing, it's a lot nicer in my opinion. It's a lot cleaner. Um, you get used to it really quickly, trust me. Um, one, of the, one of the bugs I was seeing is that if you played a song on one of your music providers, whether it be Apple Music, Spotify, uh, Pandora, etc., and you pause the song, maybe you advance or choose a different song and you open the control center again, it would show a song that you had played up to hours ago for me, days ago, um, and it would show as paused. And if you hit play, it wouldn't really do anything. Um, you had to actually enter the app to resume or advance. That's been fixed in uh, beta release 10. Um, some other things I've seen is some errors with switching between apps, um, you know, double tapping to bring up the switching between apps features, some locking, uh, double clicking app icons to enter. All these things have been resolved uh, in the success of betas. So with the actual release, which is I'm, I'm anticipating they're going to be talking a lot on uh, September 12th about. A lot of these things are fixed. It's going to be very clean. I think a lot of users are going to be very pleased with what they find. I don't personally have a lot of information on what kind of resource utilization uh, this new OS uh, you know, takes up compared to iOS 10. I don't know whether it's more memory or CPU intensive. I don't know if you guys can chime in on that. But um, so in, in, in terms I, of features, it's, it's very rich. Yeah, I installed it initially on my 5s and that's the lowest phone that ios 11 actually uh supports so if you own a phone uh that's older than the iphone 5s so anything uh below the iphone 5 um you won't be getting ios 11 so 5s is the lowest the oldest iphone that supports uh this release and that's the that's the device i installed the initial beta on and then turned my phone into a useless device the first beta oh boy and every every <laughs> every beta after that improved the performance uh exponentially um in my opinion from me using uh the device and i just got the beta 10 like you did today downloaded it and it it feels like ios 9 and there's or ios 10 I'm sorry. It feels exactly like I was. I don't feel no difference at all. There's no performance issues and I'm running on the oldest phone. So I know that previous updates have definitely uh, hindered performance on older devices. And I, from my experience, that hasn't been the case. I'm happy to report that. It's good that they're working on the performance. I right. the same type of thing on, the, uh, on an iPad that I installed the beta on. Um, it is an older iPad. Uh, it's one of the original Air 
uh, iPad, so it's not like super old. Gotcha. Uh, but um, I experienced the same type of slowness from the initial betas uh, that I installed it, and every update after that uh, improved it every single time the performance. So, yep. Um, I'm assuming that when they release this, they're gonna they're act, they probably are gonna roll the update out on September 12th because I think they did that at last year's keynote when they unveiled. Yeah, I would definitely, iPhone. I would definitely think so. I mean, with the hype it's going to generate it, to those who aren't already aware, I think that people are going to be looking for it instantaneously. I'd be surprised if they didn't do it the second they start their keynote. Yeah, and yeah. from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like you have a relatively smooth. You have some. There's some hiccups here and there, but it sounds like it's a, a relatively smooth user experience coming up, yeah, getting into the last few days before the event itself. It's been further so. and further refined in terms of issues that I found um, where it, it gets narrowed down where I'm really searching to find bugs. Um, and at this point, I don't really have any noticeable ones. Uh, the nice. one the one critique I do have is there was a lot of buzz around the voice recognition and Siri updates. And mm -hmm. I don't see a drastic improvement there personally. In fact, um, when I use the hands-free in the car, for example, I find that a lot of times it really messes up what I'm saying. So I have to enunciate oh, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty seriously to get my point across via text. Um, mm -hmm. Have yeah. you experienced using, because I use that a little bit, the uh, do not disturb while driving. So where your phone automatically disables any notifications uh, while you're driving to protect you from just having that urge to check your phone so you won't receive any notifications when it detects. I think it's either if you're connected to a uh, car Bluetooth uh, or if you have a newer iPhone, it uses the uh, motion sensor um, within there to detect if you're moving at a certain speed above a certain speed. Have you, have you, have you turned that feature on? Because you have to turn it on. It's not on by default. And if you have, what... What's your opinion on it? Will you be using it once it's released in the final build or once in the final version? I actually haven't used that. <laughs> um, I'm not I'd... sure if you know. I just have one question. I was just curious if, if you happen to know off the top of your head if that impacted the usability of Apple CarPlay. I mean, unless it can detect that it's using CarPlay and then it would override that feature. I don't know if no, it, it it overrides that feature if you're using CarPlay. Of course, it would make CarPlay useless if that was enabled, right? Right. Yeah, that was my big question. Um, anything, because um, the CarPlay is designed to present information to you that's less distracting. Um, it will never show you actual text messages. It'll only read them out loud to you. It will never show you text, so you're not urged to actually read those on the screen. So you you take your eyes off the road. Uh, so it's designed to be safer. Um, so if you have CarPlay in your car, um, you're kind of sort of already using that. But if you don't, then this feature will actually completely disable um, notifications. You won't get them until you turn disconnect from your car's Bluetooth from my experience. Well, and then you start receiving all the notifications that you've gotten during that time while you were driving. Um, you can also turn on a feature where it would auto reply uh, to all your anyone who contacted you through contacts where it say I'm currently driving I'll get back, get back to you right us and the just just for the listeners and for you Matt I guess um, 
the three options for this do not disturb while driving are manually so you can turn it on as usual uh, which is what my current option is I, I turn it on when I'm sleeping and if I'm driving for an extended uh, distance the other options are when connected to car Bluetooth so if it recognizes you're connected to your car via Bluetooth, it'll put on this do not disturb mode so that you don't receive all these updates or automatically, which is based on motion detection, which is a little, okay. yeah, it's, it's a little different, but you know, very similar concept. Um, it's a little more I'm tangible. Curious if that motion detection will activate if you're just a passenger. Well, I'm sure it would. It, I, yeah, I'd be yeah. more interested if there's a prompt yeah. that says, are you the driver <laughs> or like, are you a passenger? That's it does do that. So um, you can say if you try to access your phone, you can press a button. I'm not driving, uh, so you can mm -hmm. override it. I'd like um, to see a, a, I'd love to see a do not disturb while eating a meal, so that people have some <laughs> foster some more conversation. Uh, that's just me though. Yeah, and I know um, Google has tried to experiment with with features like that too. So this is, to me, this seems almost kind of like a catch up feature with them. Um, albeit it's more focused on. Um, keeping people's attention away from the device score as Google has focused on. Um, you can schedule um, do not disturb modes. Um, and they've also experimented with features such as like smart lock, where depending on you can set and if it, if, it's, if it detects that it's in your pocket or if it's connected to a certain Bluetooth device, then it won't actually um, trigger your lock screen. So it's cool to see features like that kind of being repurposed and ported over to iOS in meaningful ways because I know that I don't have much to say in terms of my user experience with iOS. It's very minimal, but I remember uh, it recently when I was using my brother's 6S um, that the, the notification system in iOS was very lacking to say the least. So it's good to see that they're putting effort into expanding the usability and um, different scenarios for iOS. Yeah, so. do you have any comments, Jeff, on the notifications? Because you use, use it daily. I don't use an iOS device daily. I just use it occasionally. So I don't have that daily experience of notifications, looking at them, checking up as, as things come through. Uh, have you seen any improvements, your thoughts on the notifications within iOS 11? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little more configurability to it. There's... Um... I'm I'm comfortable with it. I'm very comfortable with it. It, it basically lets me do whatever I want to do with them, which is all I could ask for. Um, it's certainly better than it was, in my opinion. You can change the circumstance under which you receive them, what what they look like, whether or not there's previews involved. Um, it you know they already had a lot of these features, but now it's more where you can. There's a specific set of uh, options, but based on those options, you can do exactly what you want to do with them, which is mm -hmm. obviously something so that users can enjoy. Find version of whatever they had in in iOS 11. Right, just with a few yeah. more options. Um, yeah, it's it's nice. I don't know about you guys. I I I assume you don't have experience with this. I definitely don't, as uh, I'm not an iPad user. But I'm really curious about the Apple Pencil. I wish I got my hands on this by now. Um, have you heard anything about, about people's experience um, with this? I used one in an Apple store just to, just to try it out. Like every time they have some, some big hardware release, I always wait until the display models come out and then I go and try it. And the, the pencil from day one, um, albeit with the controversy around Steve Jobs statement saying that Apple will never need a stylus or they'll never use a stylus. Their big thing 
was that this Apple Pencil is extremely nice to use. It has some of the best palm rejection, I think, of any stylus out there. So I I personally, from my brief experience with it, I give it a high review. And the fact that they're adding functionality to the stylus in tandem with the new iPads, I think that only kind of shows what kind of market they're trying to direct these iPad Pros at. Yeah, with the new iPads that they released, they have the higher refresh rate on the screen, um, and that reduces the latency between the input of the pen um, mm-hmm. and the, when you see the actual drawing on the screen. Um, it's fairly close uh, to an instance. There are some slow-mo videos on YouTube that you can see comparison between uh, the old iPads and the Apple Pencil and the new iPads with the same exact Apple Pencil. So you don't even need it. It's just a, an update within the hardware of the iPad, not the pencil itself. Um, there's much improvement in there. I don't know how much use I would get if I had a device with the Apple p- Pencil compab- compatibility because I'm not an artist. I don't really do that type of work to where I could use um, use it, I think, in a meaningful way. Perhaps if I was a current college student i maybe i could replace an ipad with a laptop we're taking notes i don't know there's a niche market for sure for styluses i mean look at the note series their biggest thing is the s pen and on top of that um the surface book has a stylus yeah and this is just kind of apple's way of kind of dipping their toes into that market albeit with a very expensive stylus but it you get what you pay for in this aspect because it's very feature rich and very good hardware. And I think I could definitely see a market that this is, this may not be directed towards us whose primary use case is on a windows PC or on a laptop that doesn't necessarily need a touchscreen, but this is more directed towards like the creative type of the professionals or people who do, who want to do live photo editing with their hand or people. This is probably directed towards the same exact people who would buy a surface studio, for example. Right, in my opinion, the so. photo editing actually looks an intriguing to me for to actually not even with its style it's just just editing your photos on uh, on a device with your finger. It's so much feels much more natural. And right. every time I've done it on my phone, I wish that I had a bigger device. And and um, these iPads are are kind of tempting me to see if <laughs> I can replace my whole uh, rig for editing photos. Because they're almost on par with the version of Lightroom that's running um, on the on iOS. Uh, same on Android. They're they're bringing it up to par to what's running on desktop, and and the interface is uh, designed for that touchscreen. It just feels much more natural to interact with your uh, photos. Uh, same with Photoshop. I mean, it's not on the level as it is on the desktop yet on these uh, portable devices, but it's getting closer. Didn't they overhaul the whole creative cloud to work more towards a mobile focused use case? Hmm. I thought they I thought that in tandem with the iOS eleven announcements, they announced that Adobe was expanding into this market also by overhauling several of their apps or several of their services. Huh? On desktop? Um on mobile, like moving it to support this new iPad functionality. Yeah, so they're 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 definitely doing that, but they're just not updating the the desktop to match that type. Right. So if I tried to use Lightroom on a touchscreen enabled Windows computer, it's not even anywhere near the level of 
uh, control or level of usability as it is on iOS or Android. Right. That was what I was saying. I was more towards the iPad use case than overhauling right. it for mobile. Like going from the desktop to the mobile was where the overhaul was happening. I've seen a lot so. of uh, positive reviews actually on the apps for the Creative Cloud uh, on iOS. Mm-hmm. People swear like, by them. Yeah, it seems like yeah. they're doing good work there. Um, yeah. one, one, one topic I'd like to touch on while we have a second is I'm curious with the, the school year bringing in for the people who are still in college uh, and I guess high school these days, maybe middle school, who knows, um, what kind of note-taking abilities you have with this Apple pen on an iPad, if it, how much it's like actually writing with a you know, pen or pencil. Well, um, just to kind of uh, talk a little bit more, like I, like I said, I don't know, if I, I don't think any of us have extensive experience with the Apple Pencil, but from my brief demo with it, I went into the Notes app and tried taking a quick note, and I went into the like their photo editing app and tried like drawing on a on a flat palette, and um, the palm rejection was fantastic. It it was like you were writing on an actual sheet of paper, and it was just very smooth and it worked, <laughs> and it was just a very for a demo it was a very pleasant experience even though you have lots of little scratches and fractures on those little display units that apple has in their stores yeah. <laughs> in ios 11 they're also introducing several new features specifically for the apple pencil for those ipad users yeah, it's what talking about. yeah one of those is uh when you uh when you're on the lock screen you, you start taking notes without unlocking the device you don't have right. to Go through, put your fingerprint on it if you have those type that that type of iPad. Um, the one other thing is that if you're in the Notes app, the same app, Notes app that you were uh, testing uh, this pencil on, now will recognize your handwriting and translate it into text. So if you you do a search within the Notes uh, app, uh, you're searching for a string of text that you might have taken notes during your class or whatever. Um, it'll actually look at your handwriting and try to find where you wrote that physically. Oh, cool. I would have been such a better student with this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember turning to my student, like my fellow like students in the class or my classmates. And I was like, how cool would it be if you can control F in your notebook? That's all I want. Like just Stop take a, that. yeah. I can't control it. I can't control F in my own handwriting, even like reading my handwriting. It's that bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so this is learning. Maybe it's smart enough to figure out your actual handwriting. It'd be a fun mm-hmm. thing to don't, see. Don't tell my, me. My, don't tell me it's a good time, Irvin. <laughs> <laughs> my handwriting is atrocious. So if I can recognize mine, I'll be impressed. Wow. Yes. Same here. We'll have but, to do a, a showdown. Yes. Yeah. So Apple isn't only releasing iOS 11. Hopefully, I'm excited second. for the hardware. There's some uh, potential hardware to be uh, released. Uh, it is uh, phone season, as, as some people like to call it, the fall right before the Christmas holidays. <laughs> uh, new uh, flagship phones are being released. We just had the Note 8, uh, the essential phone that we talked about earlier in the p- episode. And now uh, iPhone's up with their uh, potential uh, flagship uh, rumored to be the iPhone 8 slash the iPhone edition. Uh, so uh, they're adding a third type of device uh, to their release from what it looks like. Um, so typically they do uh, the release from a number. So last year's it was the iPhone 7. 
Um, and then the next release after that number release is typically an S release or an improvement, slight improvement on the previous design. But it looks like they might be moving away from that model. They might jump right to iPhone 8. And then they're adding a third option uh, that will be a higher end version of the phone with a, a brand new uh, screen uh, layout, a full screen design that's going to follow suit of what Samsung has been doing as well as LG uh, with a full uh, body screen to body ratio phone um, that will cost a premium. Um, can, I, can I just yeah. go on the record quickly and say that um, of all of the phone leaks that I've seen this season so far, this one is by far the ugliest. Like, and yeah. it's shocking that it's from Apple, but I mean, you have the display up in the Twitch chat right now, and like that, like, why don't they just take that top part and expand it across the whole top? Like, is an extra half a millimeter on the left and right sides of the screen really that important? Can't come to... too much too fast, Matt. <laughs> you gotta wait till I, at least I... eleven or twelve for that. Yeah. Oh my God, I just sarcasm. I don't know, but by the way. I like the, that being said though, I do like the, like the general experience of it. Like they're going with the OLED panel. They're getting rid of the fingerprint sensor in favor of a retina display. This is all rumors, but it, it it's a good step forward, I think, in getting rid of all the ports like Apple wants to do. Their big thing is they don't want to have any openings at all on the device. Um, but that being said, and also I think there's rumors of wireless charging as well, but I, I really don't know if a phone that looks like that is worth $1,200. <laughs> like you can get the, I don't know, we, there, there's a report here on, on the article about the price points of it. And they have the 64 gigabyte model at $999, the 256 at $1099, and a 512 gigabyte model at $1199. Um, and I don't think that people are ready to spend twelve hundred dollars on a smartphone but then then again that being said this is coming from the company that released a seventeen thousand dollar watch that is going to be but that that was made of pure gold matt <laughs> pure i think gold. You, i, I think you're right. going to be surprised matt i really do yeah no i know people just... die hard apple fans out there and th i think this phone is meant for those anyone mm -hmm. else like uh quote unquote normal people will go for the iPhone 8 which is still going to be available it's going to be uh, uh, an upgraded version of the current iPhone 7 has, has going to be it's going to have the same type of uh, screen display won't have those high end new features but I think in iPhone 9 or whatever they end up calling the next year's version we're going to have the transition from bring those features from the edition that was so expensive last year into a, a phone that uh, will be marketed towards uh, the majority of people. There's also been numerous reports that they might not have the capacity or, or the supply chain to build a lot of these addition phones. Hmm. Uh, so they perhaps raise prices to limit the amount of people who are going to go out uh, and buy them. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. And just, um, I don't, I don't understand the jump from 64 to 256 being only a hundred dollars <laughs> and then going from 256 to 512 being just another hundred dollars. Like yeah. I don't understand that jump. 
Why not um, start at 128? That might justify the 999 price tag right. a little bit better <laughs> because the Note 8 came out a couple weeks. They announced the couple weeks ago, and that 64 gigabyte model is 960 dollars. So if they if Apple came comes out again, I just want to reiterate: all of this is rumors. Next week we'll we'll tell you of the exact things that are coming out. But right now the rumors is if it, let's say if they released 160. 28 gigabyte model for 99 that w- everybody would like this is a way better value than the note 8 um it doesn't offer that stylus that people are looking for for that in that note series so it might not pull away those type of customers who are gonna buy the note anyway uh but uh it'll definitely give them a better value because 64 gigs for a thousand dollars it's kind of steep yeah, yeah like sure. this but... thing better come with like a concierge service <laughs> I think for that uh, price. well, hey man, if you look at, I mean, I, I just quick Google search. I I searched M.2 SSD. If you look at a 250 WD Western Digital SSD, uh, that is at around 90 bucks. If you go to 500, it's 150. So that's a 60 dollar jump. If you go to one terabyte, it's 290. That goes up another 140, which is 70 times two. So it's it skips the same way that this is. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of capacity. You're gonna you're gonna pay more to get more for the size. You yeah, know? but having my my biggest gripe is that waiting 64 gigabytes is only a hundred dollars less than 256, and oh, I another you. even 512. <laughs> I think it's like I, it's, it's less, a similar it's less scalar than this. I get you. But... Yeah, it's a similar mentality, in my opinion, to when on the iPhone 6 they released the 16 gigabyte option along with their other phones. Like it, even that though, that was more of a technical reason why I was disappointed in that. But it just, it's just I don't I don't know. And then there's like not only that, but there's the rumors of the wireless charging being proprietary. Um, in which case, that would mean that, for example, if you owned a Samsung phone and you had a Qi charger or one of those ones from IKEA where like your lamp also has a phone charger, um, that would not work with the iPhone. You would need to buy one straight from Apple. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of goes back to our original topics in the first half. I mean, also with this phone, when we're talking about the price point in general, though, kind of backtracking a little bit here, but do you think, I think people use their phones, especially like iPhone users enough, you know, these people are on like Instagram all day, Facebook all day, Snapchat all day. Use this phone enough, you're going to pay that much money for it. They're going to get a couple of years out of for it. For majority of people, I agree. It's the, the, the device not just phone it's the device that you use every single day of your life Mm -hmm. and these phones are becoming uh a part of our lives and people are willing to pay more because yeah i can justify if i pay a thousand dollars i'm gonna use this phone every day anyway not just every day man it's not just like i'm gonna call people when i want to but think about it you you Turn on your 4K TV that you spent however many hundred dollars on, and what do you do? You sit in front of it, and you're on your phone. I yeah. do. Right? I, exact thing. That, I think everyone exactly. does that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just telling it like it is to the listeners and to you guys. But, that's why we keep you around, Jeff. Yeah, that's all I'm good for. Someone's got to be honest. <laughs> Someone's got to be honest. But um, <laughs> no, I, I do see the point of that, and that was one of the counterpoints that um, I've heard in favor of this because like you're saying it is a device that people use every day of their lives and at that point it's it could be considered an investment but i don't know if i'm gonna 
Yeah, I'm going to call it. It's going to be sold out within minutes of being available for pre-order. No matter what price agree. they put on it. Right, yeah. Because people were willing to pay the Apple tax. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that, like, I spend, like, a lot of people will drop two grand on a computer and not even bat an eye. And the differences between the computer is you use this phone, like you said, literally every day for multiple hours to the point where people measure the quality of their phone by how long its screen can stay on, how many hours. Like smartphones are something that people use all the time and something that... But for for that argument for the $2,000 laptop, if you buy that type of laptop that you're spending that amount of money, you're... The way to justify it, the way I would justify something like that, if I would have used it for my, let's say, my main source of income, that's how I made my living, right? If I am going to invest that much uh, money into something, it better give me a return um, of that's where I'm going to do all my work. That's going to be my production workhorse, whatever you're doing, video production, photos, or whatever that you're doing, if you're willing to spend, it's going to give you a better return on, you're going to have to spend less time uh, waiting for the computer to do things. It's going to get you things faster. Um, that's when you spend that amount of money. And the iPhone arguments kind of the same. If you're, you're going to spend all your time on it, you're going to use it uh, for all these ki- kinds of things. Yeah, people are, will, will be willing to pay that price. Right. And that kind of also lends itself to some of the rumored names of the iPhone. So, for example, you guys had said there's possible for the iPhone edition. Um, There's the iPhone X. There's the iPhone Pro. And I think even just as simple as the the iPhone 8 or or just something different. And I I agree that if they're going to be labeling it as more of a pro device and offering more productivity uses for it then i think that it makes more sense in my eyes but that being said i don't know if a smartphone is ready for that type of an industry i think that's more relegated to things like ipads and desktop computers and laptops but you say say um, that (laughs) let's run through a couple of the other features that because we already we've really focused on uh, just a little bit, but there are other features that are rumored to come out uh, with this new iPhone edition, iPhone X, or whatever you want to call it. Um, they're going to potentially replace Touch ID with the facial recognition system right. uh, that will unlock the device apparently from just it laying on the table. Um, it can still recognize you. You don't have to hold uh, some phones that some Android phones have this feature where you have to hold it uh, pretty straight to your face for you it to recognize and unlock the phone but apparently this would work like off uh just laying on a flat table you don't have to be looking straight at it um other ones are um it's gonna have uh, of course the dual cameras uh for better air ar capabilities uh, as well as a 3d uh, laser for enhanced depth perception so that might help uh, with um the AR technologies there. Uh, replacing the home button is going to be huge. We're going to have to see how they uh, go around that, what type of interfaces, interface changes are going to happen uh, within iOS 11 to accommodate have not having a home button anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anything else that you might see that we haven't covered the potential features for this new iPhone? Um, there the was glass etched to etch OLED display. We talked about being OLED, which is, I think, a great move. It'll save on battery life. It'll produce nice colors. Yeah. Um, uh, just aside from that, it's they're going back to the glass body of, of yeah. phones too. <laughs> so that's that's about the only other difference. That... Yeah. Which they need to to have wireless charging because, as far as I know, nobody has solved the uh, wireless charging through a metal. Right yet but um a couple other things that i'm curious on seeing is i know that they're talking about releasing the apple watch series 3 um which i don't know if it's going to be much of an improvement but apparently they're saying that they're going to bring a whole new level of um they say portability and usability the rumors um and it's also rumored to have possible LTE connections, which means you won't have to have it connected to an iPhone. You'll be able to take your music on it on the go. I think that alone kind of, is a big improvement. Yeah. If that's, Especially if, if Apple eats that cost for you. Well, that's, yeah. I, I, whether, yeah, is it considered a device on your, on your plan or not? I know currently for a couple of Android Wear devices, if they have LTE, um, added to them. I know for T-Mobile because that's where well, what I use. That's where I'm familiar with. Uh, it only adds about they they charge about five extra dollars a month if you want to add it as part of your plan, uh, which is not that because you sh- you share all you have to do is just give it access to the network. You're not getting its own data plan. You're just sharing the data plan between the phone and the watch itself. Uh, so that's why I think they can make it uh, cheaper. If it was just five bucks extra month. For certain carriers, I think that mo- a lot of people will do it, and especially if it offers features where you can completely re- remove yourself from uh, the phone, you can get still get iMessages, text messages on the watch, receive calls, uh, listen to music, uh, go work out, go on a run without having to carry the iPhone in your pocket or one of those uh, straps on your arms. I think this will be big. Yeah. Uh, for- those type of users as well. Exactly what I think, Urban. I think that you're going to get a lot of activity out of that simple update to the Apple Watch. For the exact yeah. same reasons, you're going to have a lot of portability. You're going to be able to leave your phone away from it. You can have apps on a device. You can record your run, which I know a lot of people do. Um, yeah. You know, record your fitness statistics and not have to have your phone in your pocket. If it comes to a point where you can connect your your Bluetooth headset with music on your phone, that's going to be huge, absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, you get you can all, you can your watch faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but I, you can currently do that with the current series of of Apple watches that are out there. The the Bluetooth headset that you were referring to, mm-hmm. um, the Apple AirPods automatically connect to the watch, um, but you could actually stream, let's say, Spotify. You don't just to have... Because right now, the only way to store uh, music, you have, you have to be using Apple Music uh, for you to play music on your Apple Watch. But yeah. what if Spotify released an app where it can stream uh, through its LTE connection any playlist that you already have? Um, that could be... So currently, your phone can be in your locker, and that's the case? Yeah. Wow. You can, oh, yeah, you can yeah. store currently you can store some music. I think it's up to uh, two gigabytes of music on the watch. Um, but you, again, you have to be using Apple Music uh, to sync all that. 
and you can store some photos and I'll do Bluetooth streaming. I know the Series 2 has actually a GPS built into it, so you can more accurately track your runs without a phone. Uh, but that, the adding that LT just adds that extra step where you can just completely forget your phone and not yeah. worry about it whatsoever. And you can do a, a lot, not everything on the watch, but a lot of the things that most people do, answer text messages, uh, call people and things like that. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's and um, on think, top. Yeah. Okay. One more. I don't know if you were going to talk about it. I, I was going to say the app 4K Apple TV. Oh, yeah, the, the new yeah, Apple awesome. TV. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. I was going to bring up the, the HomePod possible updates on that, but okay. the Apple TV awesome. would be interesting to see an update on. Yeah, so the 4K Apple TV will definitely, I, I think, will definitely see. Um, I don't know if Apple's ever going to actually release a full TV set, like an actual TV, um, but having that 4K uh apple tv and i know a lot of people complained when the new apple tv launched with all those apps that it didn't have 4k support so hopefully finally uh, they'll add that in um and then hopefully we can get those 4k uh screen savers on our devices uh matt that we've been using oh man <laughs> i didn't even think of that oh, oh yeah that, man. first thing i thought of when these uh rumors started popping i was like oh finally i can see those 4k uh, screensavers for anybody who doesn't know for a apple tvs have these amazing visual screensavers uh on these devices when they sort of you stop using them for a couple minutes um and someone figured out a way to port that over to android tv and we both have android tv devices and, and we have that set up as a screensaver if we're not using those devices and, and they're gorgeous it's so uh, captivating that we would actually sit there during t brief periods of um, not watching shows and try to guess like which area they were panning over, like which, like where the where the camera was. Like it is, it's re it's arguably the best feature of the Apple TV in my opinion. And they're currently in 1080p, so when they release this 4K version, they'll hopefully update those files as well. <sighs> now that I have a 4K TV, I can't wait to see what they actually look like. Want 4K TV? It's going to be amazing. I want it. <laughs> do you actually think that they might talk about it because i know during wwdc they said not to be released till december if i remember correctly do you think yeah. go more in depth about it show a little bit more because i know during wwdc they really didn't they didn't let anyone use it they was just showing it nobody allowed to touch it nobody else allowed to actually ask siri any questions on it right right they could just listen to it uh, and then just look at it, not touch it. Right. I don't know if we're going to necessarily see a demo of it on stage, but I think we're for sure going to get an update on its release. Um, because they said, I think they were, they were shooting for around the holiday season and I don't think they provided an exact date. Um, yeah. but I think, I think we're going to, I'll, I'll double check that, but I okay. think I could be wrong, but, um, I think we're going to get another update on the progress of that going towards the release date. Um, and I also think that we're going to maybe get something along the lines of what Google does during its IOs where they do a little like an ad for it or something where you would see it in a use case where somebody would be using it to kind of put um, to kind of put the device in the situation where you're going to be using it the most frequently to kind of demonstrate to people what it's capable of. But aside from that, I don't know how much else or what they could really do with it. 
maybe highlight some of the connectivity features or um, give a demo of how it will be connected to your device through iOS 11 or the yeah. HomeKit, but I really don't know what they could show. Could be anything. I just pulled it up on Apple's website and they say available December for the HomePod. Okay, so then maybe we'll get an exact date. Yeah, we'll hopefully get an exact date. Perhaps an SDK. Some people were talking about like people having custom apps running on there. Mm -hmm. uh, you could say, hey, play uh, Spotify, not just Apple Music. But I know they were really focused on showing off Apple Music and the integration there with Siri of getting uh, songs to you uh, based on just you searching for it by voice. So I don't know if they will allow third parties to add to that, maybe at a later time, not at the time of launch. Um, While you have it up, do you know if it supports Bluetooth? Because that could help. I don't think they said, and I don't think they mentioned it during uh, okay. just regular Bluetooth speaker. So you can connect any device to it. Let's say an Android phone. I don't, I don't, I don't see Apple doing that. But no, I mean uh, the AirPods connect their normal Bluetooth, so that's why I was kind of having hopes. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, they might. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, with that being said, the only other thing that I'm expecting to see further updates on is um, possible discussions towards more features of uh, Mac OS High Sierra and ARKit. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to have anything additional on on any of those updates. Um, like maybe the the rollout date, maybe they'll be rolling out High Sierra at the same time as yeah. iOS 11, just kind of roll all of their software experiences out at one time. Um, but that I being said, I can't think of much else. I, yeah, I can't wait to see any all, all of the AR kit apps uh, launch once the full SDKs are released. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think that's when people will sub start submitting. And I can't wait to get uh, Jeff's feedback on actually using some of the AR kit apps. And um, I, your phone is compatible. I, I know it goes back quite a bit uh, for phone compatibility. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't need to have that dual lens. Of course, that dual lens may... Uh, perhaps help in getting a better performance, but it'll it, it'll be available on older phones as well. Well, I've heard rumors that people are saying that the dual camera will help tremendously because the second camera is, with its optical lens will help towards depth sensing, and yep. that could be incredibly valuable for AR kit in terms of like productivity things where it's like such as estimating length of space stuff like that. So I, I'm I'm thinking that's where they could go with that with the dual cameras. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about, it's not really something that's going to launch during the event, but for me personally, I'm very excited to see. Uh, so we didn't talk about the venue for this event. Um, well, very given, given the shape, it could physically launch, but... <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first event that'll be held at uh, what is now called the Steve Jobs Theater. Mm -hmm. Um that was specifically designed uh, as part of this new campus uh, that Apple is building, the Spaceship Campus. It's uh, off a little bit off-site, a little off to the side, um, but um, I'm showing a video on our, our, on our feed uh, right now of a, of a drone flying over of uh, the Apple site, and it's going to start going towards the Apple or the Steve Jobs Theater. They call it uh, Apple Park, right? The, yeah, the Apple Park. park in the middle. Official, 
That's the yeah. official name of the whole building. Yeah. And there mm-hmm. is the Steve Jobs Theater. Let me clear that away. Um, it's apparently covered by the largest piece of carbon fiber ever built. That's the roof. And it's this just clear glass cylinder uh, that has this carbon fiber roof. And then you go downstairs deep um, into the secret uh, layer uh, where they have this theater especially designed for launching uh, these type of devices. So this is the first event held there. It's going to be in, in Apple's you an historic event on, on their yeah. end for the company. Uh, to re- reveal this product. And I think it's going to be the iPhone 8, the 10th anniversary iPhone, as some people have called it, um, is going to be a, a great place for to debut uh, that phone here at the Steve Jobs Theater. And uh, Tim Cook, if you're watching, feel free to please send us a notification at industry 4 at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, as an invite, yes, please. <laughs> I would love to go. <laughs> um, but I was looking at um, this is an article that we don't have in the show notes, but I was reading some other news about the building itself. And apparently the Steve Jobs Theater has a, a rotating staircase, I believe, which also lends its way to a stage that will slide open and unveil a showroom where they can demo the de- where people can go and see the devices demoed, which sounds awesome. Sounds excellent. And yeah, this building is I wonder if there's a single pointed curve in the entire building because I, <laughs> I know that's where and that was steve jobs biggest gripe if you look at if you look at macbooks um there's not a single curve on the display if you look at their windows in mac os and in ios all of the windows taper they don't come off to a point oh. and even the keys on the keyboard are kind of curved in like a square like a, a rounded square shape Huh. It's not something that everybody notices, but Steve Jobs hated corners. So, no cutting corners except for an apple. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Apple cuts all the corners. <laughs> yeah, so that that I just wanted to mention that that's a, a something that it's not a product release, but I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'll be I'll be lot, watching live um, when I can um, to tune in. You can of course watch it live yourself, just to let everyone know. Uh, Apple will be streaming it on their site. Um, if you have an Apple TV, you can do it directly there. Um, and it will uh, be streamed on Apple devices um, as well. So if you have an iPhone, you just go to apple.com and start streaming it. Um, or you have a, a, an Apple laptop, you can stream it there as well. Windows users are not invited. <laughs> Weren't they invited to the last one? I thought they had some kind of a deal where... You could stream it on Edge. No, you have to use Safari. Okay. So Safari is no. only supported browser. Uh, some people might figure a way around that by the time of the event. If there is, I'll, we'll let you know on our Facebook page. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, a plug for our Facebook page if you want to follow and link. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably be posting a link, and um, I'm hoping to... Yeah, there's also... Awesome- There'll be several live, live, live blogs that people do. So if you want to follow along just with texts and pictures, I know The Verge does an excellent job every year, every time that Apple throws an event. If you want to watch it, uh, follow it live as, as things are happening. Mm-hmm. I do that when work comes in front of play. So if I have to get work done, I'll just follow the live blog. And that's always entertaining. They're a little personal. Priorities. Great. Apple, be- come on. 
<laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wonder if there's a way for us to live blog it. That would be interesting. Uh, yeah, that would be a fun a fun thing to figure out and, and try to find a, a tool where we can use to live blog something like that. I feel that. like we could figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be in the works. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to see if we can actually figure something out, which I'm sure there has to be something. But we'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And um with that being said, I think that wrap that just about wraps up our coverage of everything that could be happening during the Apple event. Anybody have any closing thoughts on anything on price on um any products we might have missed? I don't know if either of you have any other input. No, just I'm looking forward to watching a, a good um, presentation being sucked into the uh, reality reality distortion field that Apple uh, typically puts up. Um, <laughs> uh, that that happens at, at almost all the keynotes. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued mm -hmm. by anything that they release and how they present their products and uh, how everybody gets nabbered by them. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to to see what they're uh, gonna show off. I'm hoping that they do an homage to Steve Jobs and unveil something big as a one more thing type of deal. That would be a nice tribute to the 10 year anniversary of the iPhone and to the the man awesome. in which the theater was named for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd mm -hmm. be cool. Um, so basically, all I mean, all I have to input here is that I'm excited, and um, as an, a current Apple user, I'm even more excited to you know deliver what i experience and what my interpretation is back out to right. industry 4.0 so yeah. um well with that with that being I, said I yeah i can close up the show yeah i got i got a few plugs if you guys don't mind um plug away so for the listeners out there if you aren't already aware all episode music's been produced by me uh you can find me on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash fre that's f-r-e-h uh, he's not here tonight, but you can also check out our co-host Kyle Fisher's wrestling podcast, which is called On Air with Keenan and Kyle. You can find that at onairwithkeenan.podomatic.com. Similarly, we don't have our co-host Ryan Thompson with us tonight, but you can find out some pretty incredible photography from Ryan uh, on Flickr, F-L-I-C-K-R.com, slash photo, slash Wayne R. Thompson, T-H-O-P. M P S O N or on Instagram at Wayne Ryan 21. Irvin, why don't you go ahead and plug yourself? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Irvin.lucas, E R V I N dot L U K A C S. You're going to see uh, the pics that I post, not on the part of uh, Thompson, but uh, I'd say pretty close. Uh, we're, we're neck and neck. Um, <laughs> But if you want to check out those, give me a follow and uh, I'll make sure to keep posting uh, awesome pictures. Very nice. I don't have anything for myself to plug, but that just goes to show who's dedicated to the podcast here out of the group. <laughs> two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking of the podcast, as for us, um, as we stated at the beginning of the second half, you can find us on all of the major social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, we're on YouTube, uh, Twitch, um, they're on Instagram, and we are also streaming live to 
Twitch and YouTube TV whenever we can. But aside from that, if you want to tune in after the fact, you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcatcher apps if you're on Android, um, Pocket Casts. Um, can't think of any other of the major ones, um, but on iOS, you can catch us on iTunes, Google Play Music. Um, we're available. It's at this point basically everywhere. Tune in radio. We, um, I don't have the exact stuff in front of us, but it is <laughs> basically everything. Just search for Industry 4.0 and you're going to find out, us yeah. pretty much. Whether it's uh, spelled out Industry F-O-U-R-O-H or Industry 4 period 0. Uh, just just look us up. You'll find us. Yeah, look just for the, for yeah. the black and green gears. The right. icon you've all come to know and love. <laughs> so with, uh, with all of this in the books, with all the comments we've had and all the input we've had from myself, Matt, and Irvin, uh, that's it for this week for episode 18 of Industry 4.0. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. We will catch you next week. Bye.